Rollo, thank you very much. Here's uh, Luke Walton, who's going to bring our reading from Mark chapter 1. The reading is taken from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 28, and this is on page 947 of the Green Bibles. Passage is entitled, Jesus Drives Out an Evil Spirit. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gave orders to the evil spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Great, Luke. Thanks for reading. Thanks for those prayers, Rollo, as well. That was, uh, that was fantastic. And good. I'd uh, love you just to keep the PCC in your prayers. We're meeting tomorrow, as uh, uh, Rollo mentioned in his prayers. And particularly, we're looking at the budget for next year. Uh, just trying to you know, discern the Lord's will there in these difficult times. It's very difficult to predict, I think, for all sorts of organisations, not least charitable organisations, which in effect we are uh, when it comes to financial giving and so on. So uh, please be... Uh, prayerful of us as we deliberate that in particular, among other things on the agenda. I'd love you to have Mark chapter 1 open, page 947. I'm going to speak from this in just a moment, but uh, just while you're finding that or refinding that, let me pray. Jesus, you taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we'd love a a kind of picture of heaven so that we know what it is we're working towards here on earth in your power and in your authority and by your strength. Please teach us as we begin to see the kingdom rolled out here in Mark's gospel. Show us what Jesus was doing so that we can follow in his footsteps. We want to live authentic Christian lives, Jesus. So feed us now. Teach us and help us. For your name's sake. Amen. Well, as you know, if you're a regular, but let me just bring you up to speed if you're um, joining us this morning. We're rolling out a, a series this term uh, through Mark's Gospel. We've been going through relatively slowly through Mark chapter 1. But it repays the effort because we're looking at the kingdom of God. How we live life in the realm, the orbit, the sphere of God's power and influence. 
And we see it specifically in Jesus as he declared the kingdom. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom is good news because it's, it's restoration of things that are broken. It's, it's repairing things that are broken and healing that which is marred or distorted. It's bringing all things under Christ who is head of all things. It's making everything whole and well. And we're, we're in that process which has begun in Jesus and will be completed when he comes again. We're in that process of seeing the kingdom of God rolled out here on earth. And so we've seen recently, uh, H.E. was speaking just a few weeks ago of uh, how we might enter the kingdom. Uh, Chris last week was uh, saying just how the the first followers were called to Jesus, personal relationship with him in order to live out in the kingdom. And what I want to do now this week and next week is to look at different aspects of life in the kingdom. Uh, Two aspects in particular. This week, authority. Jesus' authority. And next week, Jesus' power. Power and authority, they often crop up together in the New Testament as it seeks to understand the kingdom of God. And as we do that, as we look at um, authority, particularly this week and power next week, and particularly with this passage in mind, verses 21 to 28, I think we'll see two ways in which this passage and what uh, we see Jesus doing here challenges our prevailing or existing mindset. In other words, the way in which we, we, we habitually think about our lives and the world in which we live. So two challenges. And the first, I think, is this. It's the challenge to the way in which we view authority itself. I think this passage challenges us to review how we see authority itself. It's clear from this that authority is a good thing. The exercise of authority is a good thing. Look at verse 22. As Jesus went to teach in Capernaum, in their synagogue, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. They were used to the teachers of the law, referencing themselves to, you know, as Moses said or as Rabbi so-and-so said. And it really, in a sense, they were sort of emptied of their, their own authority. Jesus came... And he said, you've heard it said by X or by Y, but I tell you, I say. And they were struck by the authority that he had. They were amazed. That amazement was a good thing. Indeed, when he's uh, delivered this man, we'll come on to see. Again, they are amazed. Verse 27, right at the bottom of the page. What is this? A new teaching with authority. As he demonstrates the teaching with power to rebuke this evil spirit. They were so amazed that news spread quickly around the region, verse 28. Jesus' authority that he was beginning to exercise right at the start of his public ministry was good. It was good news. And the New Testament goes on to unpack that. Authority uh, delegated to the leaders in the New Testament church is, is a good thing. It's for the protection of people under the leader's care. Sheep, if you like, in the shepherd's care. A shepherd has authority over the sheep to protect them, to nurture life in them, to lead them into pastures, to keep them from going astray or, or wandering off into danger. It's to release life in them. 
And in much the same way, the New Testament understands those in authority. Now, in our culture today, I think particularly in the West, we've lost a lot of this because we've lost sight of God. We've lost sight of the fact that all authority ultimately comes from God. It's delegated through human institutions and human organizations and so on. God delegates his authority. We see that with Jesus. Particularly in John's Gospel, again and again and again, Jesus says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only do what the Father shows me to do. I have no authority of my own. I only have the authority that the Father gives to me. In other words, Jesus took up his authority because he knew that at one and the same time, he was accountable. All authority on earth is delegated authority. It comes from the Father. And therefore, by definition, all authority on earth is accountable ultimately to the Father. Now, I could, I could go off on one here, and I won't. I'd love to unpack this at a later, later date. But it is to say that I have authority here as the vicar, I, and I'm accountable to... Uh, I mean, I place myself accountable to one or two of you, members of the congregation. But I'm, I, in, in reality, I'm accountable to the bishop. And he is accountable, and, and so it goes on. We're, and all of us, were accountable under God. And as I keep that accountability... Through, I have reviews and uh, interviews and so on with um, uh, my seniors from time to time. And as I am held accountable, you might be interested to know, by the way, I, I recently had a 360 review, and there were, I think, five or six members of the congregation who contributed anonymously, or at least I, didn't, I don't know what they said, but contributed anonymously to a review of my ministry here. So as I keep myself accountable, I then, under God, can exercise authority. It's a good thing. I'm here to protect the life of God in this community, is actually what I'm ordained to do, as it's expressed in this church. But we've grown cynical in our culture of authority, and I I think it makes it difficult for us to read this passage when we see Jesus living and moving in authority, and we think, yeah. Let me ask you, just, this is a sort of, you know, immediate reaction. When you were at school, what was your sort of prevailing mindset, worldview of your teachers? Did you say, oh great, a new teacher come, great, all my teachers, they're going to protect me, they're going to nurture my learning, they've got my best interests at heart. Honestly, is that the culture at school that you grew up in? Or or if I say to you, the police, What's your, what's, what, what is a sort of reaction there? You would think, oh yeah, bless them, they're there to help. I mean, I know that is a sort of worked mindset, but if you go to a football match, watch the football fans. What's their attitude to the police in general? Is it one of deference? Oh, I'm so glad that you are in delegated authority. I feel so protected under you. <laughs> or is there other kind of language that's used very often? Now, there's, there's, there's stuff energizing that behind, and again, I could get on, on a red herring there. Let me ask you another question. When have you ever heard a talk, read an article, seen a program, read a book that puts authority in a positive light? I'd, I'd venture to suggest not often. Uh, in our, the, the sort of, the, you know, the intellectuals call it our postmodern world. And, and part of postmodernism is actually to deconstruct, to tear down, to break down authority in a written text, for example. So that the, the meaning of a text lies in the individual reader. I can, just, I can just make it believe what I want it to believe. 
I, I observe this in, you know, in, the, in our culture in a, in, a, in, a, in a spiritual sense when people often um, inquire about baptism. And it becomes fairly apparent that they, they don't have too much of an idea of what the church understands by baptism. And as I begin to roll that out with the authority I have delegated to me to teach what the church teaches about baptism, what I find is that individuals go, you know, thank you very much, and they, they just stuff you, I'll go somewhere else. I just want, I want Johnny done this Sunday. Uh, so we'll go somewhere, you know. There's just a sort of, there's not that kind of... Well, there's just not really an understanding of how authority operates or exercises. And as a result, I think we miss the freedom that comes from living under Jesus' authority. Very interesting, actually, even just this week. Well, what's been the headline news this week? John Sargent, Strictly Come Dancing. Well, what's going on there? We've got four authority figures sitting on a panel, and they, they tell it how it is to dear old John Sargent. Bless him. And what happens? It kicks off, it energises in us, in the public, an anti-authoritarianism. So we think, no, stuff you. I'm, we're gonna, we've got, we know the power we've got. We're going to subvert this whole Strictly Come Dancing. We're going to keep him in. <laughs> Even if it means better dancers are voted off. We're in a muddle in our culture today when it comes to authority. But God is good. God is good. And those who live accountable to him, under his authority, they're there for, for good. And Jesus comes into Capernaum and he speaks and teaches with authority. And it's good. The people are amazed. Because it, it gives rise to freedom and to release. We see that with the response or the reaction to the man in verse 23. Just then, as Jesus is teaching and the people are amazed at his authority, just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I wonder what you make of that. This is the second challenge from the text. The first challenge is to authority. And whether we can see authority in spiritual terms as good. Does that challenge our mindset? Here's the second challenge as this man cries out and challenges Jesus and his authority. And challenges for, I guess, the people there at the time and for us as we read this. And it's, in a sense, it's a more broad challenge. It's what is your worldview? This incident challenges our worldview. How do you see the world in which we live? What influences it, shapes it, controls it, drives it? Biblically speaking... In other words, the Bible's teaching on the way in which we should view the world is that we live in one world, created by God the Father, but there exist two realms or spheres or influences of, of, influences of power. Two realms that shape and condition the way in which we live. And the Bible calls them, and they are often are different terms, but basically the heavenly realms... And in, in the heavenly realms, which in a sort of physical sense are, are sort of unseen, difficult to, to sort of measure or touch in the way that I can touch and feel and hold this lectern. 
But in the heavenly realms, there are all the forces for good, spiritual forces of good, as well as spiritual forces of evil. And then there's the earthly realm, the world in which we live, where we can taste, touch, see, feel. And also where things like emotions or human will like kind of exert an influence and shape and influence the way in which we live, our lives are directed. One world, two realms. And it's clear that as Jesus encountered, uh, began to teach in the, in the synagogue, and as he came across this man, this man came across his teaching, what happened was he energized or activated the spirit realm. Now, Christians believe that this is what happens when, when a human being who's, who's, if you like, just stumbling along, bimbling along, or maybe doing really well, actually, in the, uh, in the world, switched off or asleep to the spiritual and heavenly realms, when they come to Christ, they, they wake up. They become aware of good and evil. And as they be- become aware, they begin to understand and even to sort of trust the God that is behind the good in the heavenly realms. So they begin, as as Christians come alive and learn to live lives that are fully alive to God, they live in the world, but aware of the two realms. That's what Jesus is doing here. That's why he's not freaked out or phased as this man shrieks at him, who are you, what do you want? You come to destroy us? You can see his response, just be quiet, he says sternly, come out of him. It's no great histrionics, not, not sort of years and years of counselling sessions, no great thing. No, just come out, stop. You don't belong here. Jesus is rolling out the kingdom. Jesus is exerting his authority and power on the earth and in the heavenly realms. The trouble is for us in, in our mindset is that we, we've tended to shrink the scope of our worldview and reduce it to our five senses of, of what we can, we can actually see, what we can hear, what we can touch, what we can feel. And what we've tended to do is to elevate and promote our ability to reason. So everything that we see and feel and experience, we kind of centre in on ourselves and, and rationalise. We create a worldview out of what we know. And we reduce our understanding, block off and blank our understanding of the heavenly realms. We tend to think that heaven, for example, is a long way away. It's at the end of our life and it's a sort of journey to get there. It's, it's, it's up there somewhere. Pie in the sky when we die, they say. But the reality is that heaven is so close. The heavenly realms are all around us. It's as if, you know, separated literally by just a membrane. And and every now and then, you know, the forces of good, as well as sometimes the forces of evil, push against the membrane and we become aware of it. We suddenly sort of see a manifestation, an expression of the heavenly realms as they impact us here on earth. I think of a think of a pregnant mum, fully you know eight nine months pregnant, and uh, there she is, with the sort of you know great wonderful tummy, and every now and then you see, you can actually see a sort of arm or a leg or an elbow or a foot just move across 
life and the sign of life. We can't yet see the life, but it's clearly there, expressing itself, manifesting itself. And of course, we hope and long for birth when that life is evident to us. It's the same with the heavenly realms. They kind of push and squeeze this membrane so that every now and then, if we have eyes to see, we can see heaven impacting earth. That's what's happening here. Jesus walks into the synagogue. They've clearly been fast asleep, these guys. They've, there's been a guy who's been possessed by evil spirits, and it's fine for him to be there. He's just wandering around. No one's taking any notice. Absolutely fine. And as soon as Jesus comes, the light of the world, he, he uncovers the darkness. And in the, in the heavenly realms, it becomes clear. So that this man, exposed by the light of the world, the spirits in him, it's, it's not him. That's why you see there, he says, what do you want with us? There's clearly one or more spirits energizing him. So he speaks out. What's your reaction to this? Is this challenging your worldview? There's some studies done by a chap called um, Dr. Randall Short. Uh, He uh, dug up a number of graves and tombs in the first century. And what he discovered was that a number of them had these um, holes. A number of skulls had little holes in the skull. And further research uh, uh, brought to light the fact that those those holes didn't come after death. Those were drilled into the patient's skull while they were living because there had been some ossification around the entry point. A little time hold. And research uh, uh, demonstrated that the, the prevailing belief was that we were full of demons. Demons were around every corner. And um, people would even go as far as to find a doctor who would drill a hole in their head to let out the demons. In one grave he uncovered 126 um, uh, bodies and 20 of them had these holes in their skulls. Uh, and some commentators have suggested that the first century they were just, you know, they were big on this stuff, slightly obsessive, over the top. They, they sort of saw demons around every corner. And we shouldn't take this quite so seriously. I, I, we just sort of tiptoe past accounts like this in Jesus' life. But I want to suggest that in the 21st century, particularly in the West, we've gone to the other extreme. I dug out my old files from when I trained for the ministry, my, my, my files of notes from Wycliffe Hall in Oxford, an eminent, reputable theological establishment. But I looked down the different syllabus, syllabi that I'd undergone, the different things that I'd done. I, I looked at all the essays that I'd written. I looked at all the lectures that I attended, all, all aimed at the, the, the sort of head, if you like, all aimed at the cerebral. And I looked down at the, all the different bits and pieces. Where was there anywhere where I was instructed or trained in how to be aware of the heavenly realms and what to do if someone shrieked and manifested a demon in my congregation. I didn't have a single lecture or a single seminar on this stuff. And yet here I am purporting to follow Jesus and helping you to follow in Jesus' footsteps. I don't think I was particularly adequately trained in that respect. I think it was very rational, very cerebral, very logical. And somewhere we need to reclaim a healthy tension as we seek to lead lead Jesus' lives. Now Jesus didn't go looking for demons around every corner. But because he was the light of the world, as he walked in dark places, 
the darkness was dispelled and things came to light. And when he came across evil activity in the heavenly realms, he didn't avoid it. He just dealt with it, with the authority that he had in the Father's name. So I wonder, those two challenges to our world view, to, to, to the way in which we view authority, because authority under God is clearly a good thing. And the way in which we view the world in which we live, this one world, but with two realms or spheres of influence, the earthly realm, the things that we can see, touch and measure and so on, and the heavenly realm with forces of good and forces of evil. This, this kind of cosmic battle, this cosmic tension that is being fought all around us actually, even right now as I speak to you. Here's the third challenge, uh, and, and here I want to come into land, as they say. The third challenge is that actually we're not only invited to live under Jesus' authority with his authority, we're commanded to. As we play our part in the army of God and do battle in this spiritual tension, we are not only equipped to fight, we're commanded to fight. I want to just show you that in a few minutes with some uh, important pieces of scripture and actually there are, there are lots of scripture that back this up. But just before I do, again, I wonder how you react to that. I wonder whether we think, well, Jesus, he's the hero, he's the man, we're right behind him, about 2,000 years behind him. He's the one confronting evil, he's the one casting out demons, he, he's the, he's the kitty, and we're just some way off. How do you respond to the, the challenge that actually we are called to do exactly the same kind of ministry he did? In exactly the same kind of way. Under God's authority, awareness of the realms and the, the powers that are about. But with the authority, and as we'll see next week, the power to deal with anything that stands against the advance of the kingdom. I know in me, from time to time, what rises up is fear. This feels freaky. A, a man comes, look at the language, possessed by an evil spirit. And we immediately think of the films we've seen, of sort of throthing mouths and staring eyes and scary music. And you know, it is freaky, it's scary. I don't want to go there. But the thing is, and I just want to encourage you from this text... We tend to fear what we don't know. We tend to fear the unknown. If something's known, it's much less scary. Just look at the statement and two questions from this evil spirit. First of all, let's just look at the statement. In verse, at the end of verse 24, I know who you are. Jesus of Nazareth, an earthly recognition, the Holy One of God, spiritual recognition. This evil spirit knows exactly who Jesus is. Contrast that with the crowd, actually. On, in an earthly realm, in human sort of rational sense, what is this? Oh, it's amazing. What's this? Oh, this is new. Mm. Need to get our heads around this a bit. Not with the evil spirit. The evil spirit knew exactly. I know exactly who you are. Jesus of Nazareth, that's, that's how you're rooted on earth. The Holy One of God. I know who you are in the heavenly realms. Didn't need an introduction. Didn't need to sort of do his research, go on two years of theological training. He knew exactly. He knows exactly who Jesus is. 
We, we take a lifetime to sort of ponder through and discover, you know, Alpha, week one, who is Jesus? And we sort of work it through. Not in the heavenly realms. They know exactly. Second thing, second thing, these two questions. What do you want with us? Jesus of Nazareth. What do you want with us? That question in the Old Testament was often posed by an enemy of an enemy. In other words, I recognise you're an enemy. What do you, you know, it, it, the equivalent today would be outside the pub with a jacket off. Come on then, do you want some? That's, that's basically what the demon is saying. In other words, they know who Jesus is and they know where they stand in relation to him. Opposed. Third question is the most telling. Look at it there. Have you come to destroy us? It's a rhetorical question. They know full well what the answer is. What is it? Yes. <laughs> yes. And as a sign of what he will eventually complete on the cross, when every power of evil and every dominion, every force of darkness arrays itself on Jesus, such that even Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And every last shriek of every last demon is, is paled on him. So that he dies and evil is defeated. And as a sign of that defeat on the cross, he tells this spirit now to be quiet. And to come out of the man. To release him. So that he can live freely. Unoppressed. To live the life that God had originally designed for him to live it's all out in the open. It, the, the, the evil spirits in the heavenly realms, they know who Christ is. They know where they are in relation to him and they know they are defeated. What else is there to fear? I, I know I throw that question out glibly. I, I'd love you to go away and ponder it so that we can, we can know deeply in our spirits. Really, in Christ and under his authority... What is there to fear? Just look across the page. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. This is at the end of his ministry here on earth. Jesus came to them, that's the disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Pause. Rewind. <laughs> All authority in heaven and on earth. In, in, in all the realms that influence our lives, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus commissions his disciples, his followers, to go in the authority that he has. All authority in heaven and earth. And the argument comes, yeah, but it, that's just for his disciples. That's just for his followers. Oh, I wish I'd lived then, but I don't live then, so that isn't for me. Rubbish. Turn with me to Ephesians. This is the last reference, and I'll close. This is important stuff. Uh, page 1108. 1108. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church. Ordinary men and women who've come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Not apostles. Not the original eyewitnesses. And Jesus says this. Chapter 1 and verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us 
That's not just the apostles, that's the church. That's you and me if we are in Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Well, what does that look like? Verse, uh, chapter 2 and verses, uh, let's go from um, verse 4. Paul has been, in the argument, Paul has been saying, you know, we used to be alienated from God. We were separate from him. But, verse 4, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, God raised us up in the heavenly realms with Christ. We're seated there. When a monarch sat on the throne, it meant that whatever activity he was involved in was complete and done, finished. It's a sign of, of sort of authority and completion. We are seated with Christ. Everything we need to live in the kingdom in this world now with power and authority in the heavenly realms has been done for us in Christ. All we have to do is walk and live and access that authority and power. Look at uh, what Paul says about the power that was in Christ. Verse 20 of chapter 1. He exerted it when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Notice this. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Jesus' rule, Jesus' dominion, Jesus' power over every power in the heavenly realms, Jesus' absolute and utter authority is for the church, for you and for me, if we are in relationship with God the Father through the Son by the Spirit. If we're joined, it's for us. Yesterday, I watched with increasing sense of depression as England were mauled by South Africa. Here's the thing. (laughs) South Africa are the world champions. Whether they'd won or lost or whatever happened in the game, that's the authority they had as world champions. It's an absolute. Our authority in Christ is an absolute. It doesn't change if we are in relationship with him. Power is a different thing. It's conditional on one or two aspects, but our authority is absolute. But here's the thing with South Africa. As they entered the end time of the game, coming up to the final whistle, the victory was assured. Everything had been done. There were still one or two tackles to make. There were still one or two hits. Yeah. Maybe they'd lose a bit of ground. They might even concede a try. (laughs) (laughs) As they go to ground, as they're in the tackle, as they take one or two more hits with the clock ticking down, they know we are world champions. We're world champions. We have that authority. Nothing can take that away. And... Our victory in this game is assured. And it's the same for us 
as we live in Christ. Our authority in Christ is assured. And as we live in the end times, even though there'll be hits, even though from time to time the enemy and evil powers will look like they've got the upper hand, our overall victory is assured in Christ. Would you like to stand? In just a moment we're going to sing uh, majesty. We're going to declare the authority of God in Jesus. But in just these few moments that remain of our time together. I invite you now just to... uh, It's not really to ask God for anything because he's already given it for us. It's really just to take a moment. To allow God by his spirit to assure you of who you are in him. And of the authority that you have over the spirits of evil and darkness, over oppression, over all that stands against God and his kingdom. We don't have to hope that maybe God will do something about it. He's commissioned us to do something about it. To live in his authority. To exercise his power right now. So that we play our active part in advancing the kingdom as you go to the office or the school or the common room or wherever it is that he's called you to be this week you have his authority to exercise his power in the heavenly realms now father we pray that as we speak this truth from your word you would take this truth and implant it deep in our lives in our spirits that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we would be able to test and approve what your good, holy and pleasing will is. Mm. Father, take these truths, please, and change us so that we can live and work to your praise and glory. Mm. Amen. Majesty.